as you know, Friday morning, approximately 9.30, a heavily armed 20-year-old gunman opened fire inside an elementary school in Newtown, Connecticut, about 50 miles northeast of here. Killed 26 people, 20 of whom were children from the ages 6 to 7. I find it to be personally one of the most heartbreaking, probably actually the most heartbreaking crime I've ever experienced, at least in my lifetime. I, I don't think that's an overstatement for me. I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm bewildered. I'm broken. And in many ways, I'm speechless. But as I was trying to finish my sermon on Friday afternoon, which was just continuing through the Sermon on the Mount, talking about storing up treasures in heaven, and it was mostly talking about the issue of money, uh, I couldn't shake the thought that, as important as it is, God wanted to maybe speak more directly to us this afternoon with regards to this tragedy. So I scrapped the sermon. Well, actually, I just put it off. And uh, the problem, of course, for me at least, was that uh, I'm having such a hard time getting my head around what's going on that, um, like many of you probably, I wasn't really sure what needed to be said. Uh, Imagine you up here now speaking to you about this. So Friday afternoon I began to pray and ask God if he would provide some guidance so that I could share with you um, what he might say to us in a time like this because I assume he has something to say about this. Um, He has experience as a father who has a son who actually survived a massacre very similar to this. You may remember that uh, after Jesus was born, that Herod uh, had every male child in Bethlehem and the surrounding region from the age of two and under, he had them all killed. So it's kind of like this, except for it was government imposed. Uh, so our father is familiar with a child surviving a tragedy like this. And uh, to be honest, he's familiar with a, with a child being killed as well. So I assume he has something to say. So I have a few thoughts to share. Nothing that attempts to provide any kind of simplistic answers to this, um, but perhaps provide some guidance for how God might want to use this to shape our lives. So what would God say to us this afternoon? It's a presumptuous type of thing, unless, of course, you're using his words, and then it's okay to say, okay, here's what God would say. And, uh, So I'm going to just share a few reflections on what I think God would say to us this afternoon. Starting with this, I think God would say, receive comfort. Receive comfort. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly 
and comfort too. God intends to comfort his people in this affliction. And in turn will then use us to comfort others in their afflictions. God would like to comfort us, which isn't necessarily the same thing as providing answers. God can comfort us without providing us all the answers to the questions that are floating in our minds in light of this murder uh, spree. And in some ways, my heart behind going here, going to this text, is uh, to encourage us to not shake our fists at God. I even heard a pastor this week say, shake a fist at God and just talk to him. Don't shake a fist at God, but talk to him. (laughs) Don't shake fists at God. Let's not join the the media and and others who will uh, stand in judgment of God's ways right now. We don't know why he didn't stop this. I don't have an answer for you why he thought this would be best to permit this to take place. But let's not stand aloof from him and fail to receive comfort from him because of a refusal to draw near to him right now. To draw near to God, to find comfort, despite the fact that we don't have answers. Let's just come to him. Let's come to our Father, ask him to provide comfort, and then ask him to use us even to provide comfort to others. To be able to speak about this in a way that's helpful to people. One of the reasons I asked John to sing Forever Rain today was because the thought of running into our Father's arms really ministered to me yesterday. And I thought, that's what New Hope needs to do as a church body. We need to run into his arms without demanding any explanation from him for what has happened. To be able to say, God, I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. Nothing compares to your embrace. Uh, you know, that's what we need. We need our father's embrace right now. It's like a child needs the embrace of their parent in tragedy. That's all maybe he's going to give to us right now is just an embrace. And that's enough. That's enough for us. So let's be a people who draw near to God and receive comfort from him in a time like this because we need it and our neighbors need it and God just might be pleased to use us to provide them with the comfort that we ourselves have received from our father. Receive comfort. Second thing I think God might say to us today. Uh, mourn. Mourn. Romans twelve fifteen. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Or Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 4. There's a time to weep. A time to mourn. You know, I had a thought this past week as I laid in bed one night. Incidentally, it was before this happened what it would be like to actually lose one of my children. It brought intense sadness to my heart, even to the point of tears as I was laying there. And I I didn't entertain the idea. You know, I didn't didn't let that simmer in my mind because it's not healthy to give your minds to those types of thoughts. There's no need to foster sorrow for imaginary scenarios. Um, There are plenty of real things to be sad about. Uh... And for dozens of families, fairly close by, this is the new reality for them in the most heinous of circumstances. Um, And the truth is, in a matter of 
days, our personal realities are going to start to move on. We're going to go out of town for Christmas. We're going to be with family. We're going to do New Year's. We'll face the fiscal cliff. We'll go back to school. We'll go back to work. And it's, it's, it's going it's to feel uh, the way that the shootings in Denver feel to you right now which maybe you remember and remember how shocking it was, but we're going to keep going in a lot of ways. But these families, uh, life will never be the same, of course. And I think Jesus would say to us, okay, take a minute, pause, consider this tragedy, think about it, and mourn. Let yourself feel it and mourn. Weep with those who weep. Mourn for the loss of life. Mourn for those who have been robbed of their loved ones, robbed of their children. Even Jesus himself wept at the death of Lazarus, even though he knew that it would be a very short time before he rose him back up. He was weeping with those who wept because they lost somebody. Mourn over the presence of sin and brokenness in the world and even mourn over the sin in your own life. Because the fact is, some of you may not like this, but this tragedy isn't just a commentary on the wickedness of one man. The dark disease that was at the root of Adam Lanza's actions is present in my heart, and it's present in yours too, and it's called sin. And by the grace of God, and it really is only by God's grace, that this uh, disease, sin, has never manifested itself in our lives the way that it manifests itself in his life. God has restrained us, and that's gracious of him. Because if he lets you go, what you are capable of and what I am capable of are monstrous. Jesus has taught us in Matthew 5, you don't have to pull a trigger in order to be guilty of murder, right? We just learned about this. It's very tempting right now to separate ourselves from what just took place and the evil that just took place. And what I'm saying is mourn for the evil, mourn for the sin in the world, and mourn for it in your own life too. Because you have the same disease. We see sin like this and what it can do, we should mourn that it is present in this world, present in our lives. This is not how things are supposed to be, and it's not the way that things are always going to be. Praise God. But in the meantime, weep with those who weep. The third thing I think God might say to us today is pray. Uh, As you pause, you take it in, you mourn, Uh, Don't despair in silence. Uh, Turn your mind to God, turn your mouth to God, and pray. 
most of the day Friday, I found myself watching the news or reading the news and going, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. I just can't believe this. This is crazy. This is crazy. I just can't believe this. It was, but it, I was so insulated, I didn't spend nearly enough time just talking to God. I was just, a, I was just insulated and, 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 and despairing and, and inward looking. Speak to him. Share your thoughts with him. Ask your questions to him. Remember, he's our father. He's eager to hear what we're thinking. He's eager to help us think. He's eager, eager to, to help us process. And if you don't know where to start, open up your Bible. Go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, and use the Lord's Prayer as a template. Our Father in heaven. My Father in heaven. I'm so thankful that I have a Father who is King of heaven and earth, Father, hallowed be your name. I want your name to be praised. I want you to be honored. I look at what's happening in this situation. You're, you're not honored by this man's life. I want your name to be honored. I want people to, 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 to praise you because of this. I want my life to be more filled with honor for you. Let your kingdom come. God, use this to advance the gospel. And come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come and rescue us from this. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to obey you. I see what sin can do. I want to obey you. I want to do your will joyfully like the angels in heaven do your will. And I want our church to do your will joyfully like the angels in heaven who submit to you. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Provide for us our needs. Provide what these families need. Give them the emotional support that they need. Give them the counseling that they need. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God, please forgive me for the way that my sin manifests itself in outbursts of anger, in acts of, of, of violence, in, in, in depression, in, in uh, the silent treatment, in... in uh, a thousand ways that, that, that my sin is manifesting itself. Forgive me my debts as I forgive debtors. And God, give me the ability to leave wrath to you for Adam Lanza. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and he will be just. God, please protect me from fostering a type of bitter hatred in my heart that will ruin my soul. You take care of this man. I release him. Lead us not into temptation. Protect me from my temptation. Protect me from my flesh and deliver me from the evil one who would have me despair, who would have me shipwreck my faith, shipwreck my family. Pray. Pray for the families of the victims. Lift them up. Lift them up to your Father. Support them in prayer. Pray that God would comfort them. Pray that God would strengthen them. Pray that God would provide for their needs and walk with them through this valley of the shadow of death that they are experiencing right now. Pray that they would sense the presence of the Good Shepherd. Pray that they would sense God's Spirit with them. Pray that they would take comfort from God's words. Pray that God would provide godly, skillful 
counselors. Pray that God would provide Christian brothers and sisters who will gather around them, pray for them, weep with them, be with them, share Christ's comfort with them. Pray that this would not result in the hardening of their hearts. That's a serious danger right now for these families, that their hearts will grow hard. Pray for them that that doesn't happen. Pray that God will use this to soften their hearts and to save, to save souls. Pray for them, because in all likelihood, they're not praying these things for themselves right now, right? Pray. The fourth thing I think God would say to us today is remember that your life is a vapor too. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes, James 4.14. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. That's what James says. One of the most haunting thoughts to me is that Friday morning started out for these families just the same way it started out for all of us. Every day, every hour, every breath, every heartbeat is a gift. Every single one is a gift. You're not guaranteed the next one. And they're numbered. They're all numbered. And sometimes we are painfully reminded that this life is missed. It will vanish with, with little or, or zero warning. Now, I don't think... God wants us to be morbid and, and go around fearing each day that we're not going to make it through today, um, doubting that it's going to happen. But what he, what he does want us to be mindful of is the fact that we're not invincible and we're not staying here. We're not staying here. If we're not wise, we will try to get comfortable here for years or even decades living our lives as though we have forgotten that this is a very temporary assignment that we've been given. Very temporary. There's something about keeping in mind the temporary nature of our life in this body. In fact, the psalmist even prays, help me remember this. He prays like this, Psalm 39, 4. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths. My life is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Salah. A breath. And it's over. And that was a deep breath. Your life is a vapor too. My life is a vapor too. Remember. And therefore, number five, prioritize. Prioritize your life. Ephesians 5.15. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We only have a little bit of time, Paul says, and we have to make the best use of it. Don't be foolish, he says, but understand what the will of the Lord 
is. Figure out what you're supposed to be doing and make the best use of your time because you don't have much. What are you supposed to be doing? I was struck several months ago about a story that I read in Isaiah chapter 38. It's uh, about one of the kings of Judah named Hezekiah. Let me read about eight verses for you. Isaiah 38.1. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. Oh, thank you. What a scenario. I mean, he's on the verge of death. Set your house in order. That's what Isaiah says to him. Set your house in order, you're going to die. And then 15 years. Oh, thank God. Perspective, right? What these families wouldn't give right now for 15 years. 15 more years. What they wouldn't give. I started thinking about this a couple months ago when I first read this. Yeah, that's a lot of time. Uh, actually, no, that's not very much time. 15 years, I'll be 50. What if you were dead at 50? What if you had 15 years left? Or let's just say you just lived to 50. Most of us would say that's an early death. What would you do if you knew you had 15 years left in your life? What would you do if you knew you were going to be dead at 50? How would you prioritize? What would you invest in? Who would you invest in? How would it impact your relationship with and devotion to Jesus Christ? How would it impact your marriage? How would it impact the way that you relate to your children? How would it impact your job? How would it impact what you live for? Look carefully then how you walk, Paul says, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Remember that life is a vapor and prioritize. Figure out what you're supposed to be doing and get after it, man. Because it's a breath and then it's gone. Get after it. And number six, seek first the kingdom of God. When we consider this tragedy and we mourn, God says to us, mourn. And he says to us, pray. And he says to us, remember that your life is a vapor. And he says to us, so prioritize. 
at the top of your list. Seek first the kingdom of God. Get after it. Seek first the kingdom of God. Don't be the guy who says, if I only had one day to live, I'd go skydiving. As though the the purpose of your life is to to maximize uh, the pleasures that you can squeeze out of it here and now. Now, I'm not saying don't have any pleasure. I'm just saying, if you've got one day left, you're going to skydive, really? One day. Understand what the will of the Lord is and then submit yourself to his will for your life. And his will for your life is to seek first the kingdom of God. Don't toil to build a a posh life. Don't squander your brief vapor anxiously building a kingdom of, of food and drink and clothing. Your father knows that you need these things, Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Toil for the sake of the gospel. Toil for the sake of the name of Jesus being known and praised. Toil for the sake of loving others and for the sake of making disciples. Get after it. Seek first the kingdom of God. Don't, we're, we're not going to stand on the other side of, of death and look back and say, man, I wish I would have lived the good life while I was there. You don't even know what the good life is, man. Because once you get there, you'll look back on all of this and say, what was I doing? Why didn't I prioritize? I think God would say to us in light of this, hey, okay, prioritize. Your heart's still beating. Prioritize. You still got time. Seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, Live for something that's worth dying for. So that when it's all over, you, you won't have wasted your life. Nobody wants to waste their life. Nobody wants to waste. And number seven, take heart. Take heart, God would say to us, 20 small children murdered, take heart, take heart. I'm not talking about naive optimism, I'm not talking about, let's just look on the bright side, this is not uh, some sort of encouragement to uh, look at how this tragedy brought a community together and a nation together and showed the courage of the human spirit. I'm not going to try to use this to somehow encourage your faith in humanity, (laughs) Uh, as some are. I'm not going to try to do it to try to encourage your faith in this world. If you're looking for hope to come from this world after what happened on Friday, then you have missed the message of what was proclaimed on Friday. This world is plagued with evil. It grows deep inside the heart, and we are powerless against it in ourselves. This world has a disease. This world is under a curse. This world cannot and will not save itself from sin 
and death. Jeremiah says, can the Ethiopian change his skin? Or the leopard, leopard, his spots? Then also, if that were the case, you, you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. In other words, we have no more power to change our hearts to do good than a person has to change the natural color of their skin. Or the leopard has the ability to change the growth of spots on its fur. The hope for this world does not lie of course, and I know you know this, but there are a lot of people who are saying otherwise right now, and we're just going to, I'm just want to, I'm not trying to be a jerk. The hope for this world does not lie in the goodwill of humanity. In cool little YouTube videos that talk about all the great things that people did in the last two years. Now, of course, that's one of the things that the world's going to try to do to try and inspire us to recover. They're going to, and they're going to point to some of the genuine heroism that has occurred in order to inspire some hope that there's still some good left in this world. And, and you know, I think we should celebrate. I, I, um, I want to be very careful to, to celebrate, to celebrate, celebrate. The fact that people rushed into danger in this situation. I'm not downplaying that. And maybe even lost their lives as a result. I think we don't really know at this point what all went down. But even if they did, it doesn't provide the kind of hope that I'm talking about. Because it won't conquer evil. The human spirit, God in his common grace working through people who are doing heroic things is still not going to conquer evil. I praise God for their courage. It's a testimony to God's common grace, but it doesn't give me any hope for this world. It just doesn't have the power to overcome the horror of the tragedy. It doesn't. I'm thankful for these people, but it doesn't it's not like the scale is even here. It just doesn't compensate for it. And it certainly doesn't conquer it. So where does hope come from? The nation, the world, is pining in sin and error. Desperate for something or someone to remedy the problem. And they're going to discuss gun control. And they're going to discuss school safety and mental health and violence in the media and video games and a hundred other peripheral issues. And those discussions have to be had. They do. But none of them will produce the kind of hope that I'm talking about because none of them solve the deepest problem. Those are all band-aids. The problem will not be fixed with gun control. And I'm not saying whether I'm for or against. I don't even know what I think about it. It's just not going to fix the problem. Band-Aids. Long lay the world. 
in sin and error pining till he appeared till he appeared and then it all changed a thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn fall on your knees oh hear the angel voices oh night divine oh night when Christ was born The birth of Christ gives a world that is yearning for healing a thrill of hope. Take heart. In the words of Jesus, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Our hope comes from the fact that Jesus has remedied the problem by overcoming a world riddled with sin. This is not a band-aid. This is resurrection. This is rebirth. This is new creation. This is a new start. This is a, a new world. And I know we're still waiting for it to be consummated. I know we're waiting for Him to make all things new. I know we're waiting for the world to be set straight again. But there are two reasons why we Christians can be so confident that it is only a matter of time and that the coming of Christ has set a transformation in motion. There are two reasons why our hope is not naive optimism. It is certainty. And the first reason we can be certain is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus was the public demonstration that sin and death do not have the last word over Jesus. Jesus has the last word. And it's a word of victory over the world. It's a word of victory over sin. And it's a word of victory over the grave. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? He has conquered it. He has conquered sin. He's conquered death. And now he lives on the other side of it, never to die again. He's overcome the world. And his resurrection in a glorified, imperishable body is the first installment of the restoration of the entire cosmos. It's coming. All things will be set right in the world. And it will happen soon, and it will happen very soon. This is not optimism rooted in a pipe dream. It's a certainty that's based on a living, resurrected Savior. This is what Peter means when he says that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope is not a dead hope. It's not a naive hope. It's not a fading hope. It is a living hope because it rests on a living Savior. He's going to fix it. Now the second reason that this hope we have is not a naive hope <clears throat> is because of the fact that we have already begun to taste the reality of that resurrection transformation in our own lives. Not only did he rise from the dead, but I've tasted 
the reality of the transformation. And so have you, if you know Jesus. Because every person in this room who has a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ knows the power of the resurrection of Jesus to some extent because he has brought us from death to life. When you become a Christian, God unites you to Jesus so that you become somehow a partaker of his death and resurrection, which means that someday you're going to receive a full resurrected body just like Jesus did. And we're looking forward to that with great anticipation. But not only that, we also presently experience something of the resurrection spiritually. Because the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in us. And he's already working out the reality of resurrection in our lives in the sense that he's helping us to put to death sin and he's helping us to walk in newness of life, walk in righteousness. That's resurrection reality. It's a miracle. You couldn't do this before, but once you came to Jesus, he changed your life because you took part in his resurrection through the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is a present experience of the resurrection present experience of the new creation reality. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's already started. In other words, we've been born again. The new creation has started. We've been born again. We've received and experienced the down payment on a cosmic transformation that is just around the corner. So not only has Jesus said that he has overcome the world, but he has demonstrated that he has overcome the world by his rising victorious over sin and death. And not only has he been risen from the dead, but we have also begun to experience for ourselves the reality of this transformation that he's going to bring to the entire cosmos. And that amounts to a certain and living hope that we have. The transformation has begun The new creation has dawned, and it's not rooted in the goodwill of humanity. It's not rooted in federal and state legislation. It's rooted in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He is going to fix this problem. And so we have hope. When we come to him for comfort, we come with hope. When we come to him and we mourn, we can mourn with hope. When we pray, we pray with hope. When we remember that our life is a vapor, we remember with hope. When we prioritize the kingdom of God, we prioritize the reordering of our lives with great hope that all things will be set straight very, very soon. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Let's pray as I invite the worship team and the brothers up for the Lord's Supper. Jesus, we thank you for conquering sin and death. We thank you that our hope is not a naive optimism, but it is as certain as your resurrection. It is rooted in your resurrection. 
If it weren't for the resurrection, we would have no hope today. But because of the resurrection, we know because you have risen and because we have tasted the reality of it in our own lives. We know that you are restoring all things and that very soon you will be good on your promise. The Holy Spirit is just a down payment. It's the first fruits. The rest is soon to come. We wait with anticipation and we pray that you would be with the families of these victims. I pray that you would give them a living hope, Lord, that goes beyond better school security and gun control and video games. Give them a living hope that not even death can steal. We give you the glory and we pray that this time now as we partake of the Lord's Supper would be a, a, a sweet time of worship. In Jesus' name.